This is Catechesis on Radio Maria. On today's program, we have Father Adrian Graffi, parish priest at the Catholic Church of Christ the Eternal High Priest in Gideon Park. He is also a scripture scholar and a member of the Pontifical Biblical Commission. And today, and Tuesday and Wednesday, he'll be teaching about the Christmas Gospels on Radio Maria England. Hello, Father Adrian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Helena. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, we it's have, a pleasure. We've had the pleasure and the blessings of hearing from your different faith talks on your website, whatgoodnews.org. And finally, listeners, we have Father Adrian here live and ready to take your questions at the end of the programme today. But That's first, fine. you've got to start us off, Father Adrian. The floor is yours. Thank you very much, Helena. And hello, everyone. I'm going to be talking today and hopefully then tomorrow and Wednesday about what I call the Christmas Gospels. And you can imagine what they are. They're the Gospels that tell us about the birth of Jesus and also tell us something about events before and afterwards. So today we'll be looking at the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapters 1 and 2, tomorrow St. Luke, chapters 1 and 2, and on Wednesday, the Gospel of John, the great prologue from chapter 1 of John's Gospel. But let's begin with Matthew. Anyone opening the New Testament comes first to Matthew, and they see in the first 17 verses this enormous list of names. It's quite intimidating uh, for deacons and priests, to read those when that becomes our gospel, as it does uh, in preparation for Christmas. But we're going to ask ourselves, well, why this great list of names? Why does Matthew begin his gospel by saying, this is the book of the genealogy, or this is the role of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. And that already gives us a clue, because we're talking about the Jesus who has ancestry, who's born into the Jewish people. And Matthew wants to trace that back to the father of the Jewish people, Abraham. And he does it in a very ingenious, perhaps complicated way. In those first 17 verses of Chapter 1 of Matthew, he presents to us 42 generations. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and so on and so on and so on, until we come to another Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and of her was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, obviously, there are going to be names in that list with which we are familiar. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, King Solomon. But a, a lot of names also that we don't really know much about. But Matthew was constructing something here to teach us the meaning of Jesus and the importance of Jesus. Because at the very end, in verse 17, he says, 
all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. And from David to the Babylonian exile, another 14. And from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, 14. And you think, I didn't realize I had to do mathematics when I came to read the gospel. Well, here you do. 14 is actually two sevens. So if we've got three 14s, we've got six sevens. Now, seven is the perfect number. So seven times seven is perfection, is fulfillment. And that's what Matthew is indicating by having his six sevens, 14, 14, 14, if you're still with me, and then Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the seven times seven. And we might say Jesus brings with him his disciples, his church. Matthew's interested in the church. He speaks about the church in his gospel. So this wonderful genealogy is not a distraction. It's not something you should jump over. You're not going to be tested on pronouncing 42 names. But the meaning of it is to point to Jesus, the Messiah. So at the beginning in verse 1, Matthew describes Jesus as descended from David, it's of the line of David, and from Abraham, the father of the race. At the end, we're told these generations come to a climax with Jesus. So much for that first section of chapter 1. And I promise you, it's now going to get a lot easier. In the, what we call the infancy stories or the infancy narratives of Matthew, the real hero is actually St. Joseph. Of course, Jesus is the hero and Mary's there too, of course. But Joseph, the focus is on Joseph. So when we come to verse 18 of chapter 1, Matthew says, The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, happened like this. It's almost as if he starts again. We've had the book of the genealogy, the book of the birth of Jesus. Now we have the actual birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christos, happened like this. And he describes the situation. Joseph is betrothed, or as we would say more simply, engaged to Mary. And Mary, before they come to live together, is found to be with child, to be pregnant. And Matthew explains that immediately by saying, through the Holy Spirit, she had a child in her womb, and the Greek says, ek pneumatos hagiu, through the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. In other words, this child is a gift from God. But of course, Joseph doesn't know that. And the evangelist describes Joseph as a righteous man, righteous, 
and therefore wanting to do, wanting to act according to the law, but unwilling to hurt Mary, to expose her to disgrace. So having considered all the options, the dreadful option of having the law take its full force against her, no, he doesn't want that, but he wants to dismiss her quietly. And this is in his mind when Matthew says, suddenly an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. And he's called son of David. He's part of that genealogy. The genealogy goes through David to Joseph. We'll come back to that. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. God's always saying in these stories, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So for the second time in this, in these few verses, we're told the child is from the Holy Spirit. This is the mystery of the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. It's what we call the incarnation, and we'll be coming back to that. What is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. So do not be afraid, Joseph. This is the work of God. Then the angel goes on. She will give birth to a son. And you, you who are the legal father of the line of David, you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, reading that in English, we think, well, what has Jesus got to do with save? And you've got to find out that the Hebrew for Jesus is Yehoshua. Yehoshua. And Yehoshua means the Lord saves. Yashar is the Hebrew word for save. So within Jesus, there is the statement, the Lord saves. God saves. He will save his people from their sins. Then we come to the wonderful first of five, actually, statements which tell us the scriptures are being fulfilled here. The ancient scriptures are being fulfilled. Just as Jesus is the fulfillment because he's the final stage in that long genealogy, so Matthew once again is telling us all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet, by the Lord, through the prophet. And he quotes the first of five Quotations from the Old Testament that we'll see in these two chapters. Look, the virgin is with child, will give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where the prophet Isaiah is saying to the king Ahaz, assuring him of a continuation of his royal line, telling him that, he will have a child. And this child will demonstrate that God is still with his people, with his king. Now, Jesus isn't actually going to be called Emmanuel, Emmanuel, but he's going to be Emmanuel, because Emmanuel means God is with us. Emmanuel, God is 
with us. So we have the first of five what we call fulfillment citations. You might say, well, why five? Well, five is also important, isn't it? In the Gospel of Matthew, there are five major speeches for Jesus is presented as the new Moses, as greater than Moses. Moses had his five books. Jesus has his five speeches. And I like to think that in these couple of chapters that are kind of the prelude to Jesus' ministry, we once again have five. And that five, once again in its own way, represents fulfilment, completeness. And then in verse 24, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. So the engagement that was going to be broken off, well, then Joseph, inspired by God to generosity, to love, to understanding, to accepting a very strange situation. He accepts it. He does what the angel of the Lord has commanded him to do. And she, Mary, from being betrothed, from being engaged, becomes his wife. And he had no intercourse with her when she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus, as the angel told him to do. Jesus meaning God saves. So you can see that in this first little scene with its fulfillment quotation at the end, Joseph is challenged. And it's rather like what we'll see tomorrow with Mary, the angel Gabriel, coming and saying, Will you be this will you be the mother of the Messiah? Both Saint Joseph and Mary, Our Lady, make that generous response. So this we might call the Annunciation to Joseph. And in Luke's Gospel, we'll have two more Annunciations. So we've come with the lists of names, the genealogy, and that first scene with Joseph to the end of chapter one. And let's have a short music break now. Thank you for joining us on Radio Maria. This is... 
catechesis for today, December 20th. Thank you for joining me here on Radio Maria. Today we have the pleasure of having Father Adrian Graffi, who is the parish priest at the Catholic Church of Christ the Eternal High Priest in Gidea Park. He is a scripture scholar and a member of the Pontifical Biblical Commission. And today and tomorrow and Wednesday, he'll be sharing with us about the Christmas Gospels. He's been sharing with us a bit already and about the the lineage. Oh, Father Adrian, I tell you, I will have to admit, every time I hear that uh, reading in Mass, I kind of doze off for a little bit. Oh, dear. <laughs> But that's all right. I was reminded, like you said, that, that that's just who we are. And it just reminds us to be connected to this future king of ours. So enough from me, enough from me. Father Adrian, I'll let you have the floor again. Thank you very much, Helena. Well, we've looked at chapter one, which, as Helena reminded us, has that genealogy, that long list of the ancestors of Jesus. And then... The vision of Joseph, his dream in which he's encouraged by God, invited by God to take Mary as his wife and therefore the child as his adopted son. Then we get into chapter two. And if you're just reading Matthew and you have no knowledge of Luke, you'll be a bit surprised. Because the first verse of chapter 2 says, After Jesus had been born, wise men came from the east. The only details that St. Matthew gives us are to say he was born at Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Both details which Luke also gives us. But this is all that Matthew has to say about the actual birth of Jesus. He's born in Bethlehem, five miles from Jerusalem, which is in the territory of Judea, Judah, under Roman rule, during the time of King Herod. And we're introduced to this Herod, known as Herod the Great, the first of a dynasty of Herods, a man who is remembered in history as a man of cruelty, as well as rebuilding parts of uh, parts of uh, the ancient world in Palestine. Now, it's at that moment, once Jesus had been born, we don't know how long after, of course, we celebrate the wise men on the 6th of January. But of course, that's the way the liturgy has sorted it out. Matthew doesn't tell us when this visit happened. Suddenly, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. They're called Magoi, and we call them Magi. They're not actually called kings. They're not actually called three kings. They're called Magoi. We say they're three because they actually bring three gifts. But they have a question. Where is the child, the king of the Jews? A shocking question. To them, it's a great gift. We've seen his star, you know, the ancient idea that great people, that when they were born, there was a star, their star 
arose. We've seen his star. We want to worship the king of the Jews. Can you imagine the reaction of Herod and his court? It's a reaction of horror. Verse 3, Matthew says, Herod was perturbed and the whole of Jerusalem with him. I wonder, that sounds a little bit like exaggeration. There may well have been many in Jerusalem who would love to uh, see the back of Herod. He was perturbed, the whole of Jerusalem with him. So what does he do? He consults the chief priests and the scribes of the people about this new king. Chief priests and scribes. That's interesting because they are the ones who later on will be part of the tribunal which will decide on the death of Jesus. So we have two kinds of people here. We have these magi from the east who are searching for something, searching for the truth, searching for the king who will bring justice, who will bring peace. And then we have Herod and his cronies who only uh, are, are intent on prolonging the rule of Herod. The chief priests and scribes who should be faithful to the law. Ah, we don't know what side really they're going to take. But they come up with another passage of scripture. And the passage of scripture they quote is one which talks of Bethlehem as the place of birth of the Messiah, a leader. They they quote the prophet Micah, chapter 5. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. From you will come a leader who will be a shepherd for my people. That's the ideal of the Messiah, the Messiah shepherd. So they say it's going to be in Bethlehem. And of course, they're right. So. Herod then acts on this, having consulted his advisors, summons the wise men, made sure he knew when the star had appeared and therefore when the child had been born and sent them on to Bethlehem. And this is what people in power do. They lie. They dissimulate. Go and find out about the child so that I too can come and worship him. Of course, they're not, he's not going to fool the Magi. They're far too wise for that. When they had heard the king, they set out and there was the star. Well, the idea that the star is still there to guide them to the place where the child was. And seeing the star, they rejoiced with great joy and they went in and found the child with Mary and falling down, they worshipped him. Now, this is where we open ourselves to another dimension of this story. In Matthew, it's not the local shepherds. That's in Luke. It's these searchers 
people seeking wisdom, seeking truth, seeking the gift of God, who have come from the East and will worship him. Now, this is a theme we find within the prophets. We find it, for example, in Isaiah chapter 60. We find it in the 72nd Psalm. The nations bring golden incense in the Isaiah text. Kings bring gifts in the Psalm, Psalm 72. So what is Matthew telling us? This is the fulfillment, the fulfillment of those hopes and dreams. And it's showing us that this Messiah, who may be opposed by his own people, is, in fact, the Messiah for all the nations, for all peoples. That's the meaning of the Feast of the Epiphany, the light for the Gentiles. Tomorrow we'll be recalling those words of Simeon in Luke's Gospel, light for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So, the wise men come, they offer the gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh, each having its own uh, symbolism. And then they themselves, just like Joseph, they are warned in a dream. He had a dream to inspire him to adopt Jesus as his son, and he'll have other dreams, as we'll see in a moment. But they now are warned. They've understood that Herod is, will be opposed to this child, will seek to kill him. So they return to their own country by a different way. This means we've passed through the first 13, 12 verses of chapter 2 of Matthew. But there are three more little scenes that we have in the final verses of the chapter. We've left Joseph in Bethlehem with Mary. Note that there's no mention of Nazareth at this point. And Joseph has another dream, verse 13. He's warned, take the child and flee. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there. For Herod intends to search for the child and destroy him. So Joseph got up by night and took Mary and Jesus and stayed in Egypt till the death of Herod. And then we have another fulfillment, a fulfillment quotation. I called my son out of Egypt. How clever it is, the connections that the evangelists make with the scriptures. In the book of Hosea, chapter 11, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. Israel was called out of Egypt. Similarly, Jesus will be called out of Egypt when the time comes to return to the Holy Land. 
couple more little scenes. Back to the court of Herod. Herod is furious that the wise men have not returned. And so he has slaughtered all the male children who were two years old or less. Because remember, he carefully asked the Magi the date, time of the birth of the child. So the slaughter of the innocents, entirely in the character of Herod the Great, whose the historical records about him that we have show man of great cruelty, desperate to be in power. And then we have the fourth citation from the Old Testament from the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Rama, lamenting and much weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be comforted because they are no more. Jeremiah 31. Matthew making a connection here with a similar slaughter of children, possibly during the time of the Assyrian deportation centuries earlier. But again, making a connection between the events around Jesus and the scriptures, particularly the prophecies. This is fulfillment. Once again, he's illustrating fulfillment. And finally, we come to verses 19 to 23. This is the fifth of those five scenes. And back once again to Joseph. Joseph, there in Egypt, he hears that Herod has died. And in a dream, the angel tells him to return, take the child, take his mother, go back to Israel. Because those who seek the child's life are dead. Joseph returns obediently to the land of Israel and goes naturally back to Bethlehem. And then there's a subtle twist. But then he learned that Archelaus, one of the sons of King Herod, was king in Judea in place of his father. And Joseph was afraid. Once again, he was warned in a dream to go to the region of Galilee. And he settles in Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets should be fulfilled. And we have our final citation of scripture. He will be called a Nazarene. We're not sure of that quotation. It seems to come from Judges chapter 13 and be a, a reference to Samson. But you see, what we have throughout these five scenes, Joseph, first of all, being willing to accept this extraordinary situation of being the father of this family, and then being told, being warned, go here, go there. Joseph, the servant. Joseph, the protector. And isn't it extraordinary the way the figure of Joseph then lends itself to be the protector of God's people, the protector of the Holy Church? I hope that looking at these two chapters of Matthew has been helpful for you.
And I look forward tomorrow, we're going to be looking at the first two chapters of the Gospel of St. Luke. Thank you, Father Adrian, for that. Listeners, now is your chance to speak to Father Adrian. If you've got some questions, some thoughts on these first Bible, this first Gospels, this first Christmas Gospels of Matthew, please give us a call. The number is 01-223-375-564. If you'd like to give us a call, we'd love to hear your questions or your thoughts. Again, the number is This is Radio Maria and this is Catechesis with, today, Father Adrian Graffi. What would you call for what good news? Are you the boss? Instigator. The instigator. The instigator (laughs) of whatgoodnews.org. And I tell you what, Father Adrian, I love how you've taken your curiosities, your questions, and you've said, okay, well, let me go find who's the expert about that, get them to talk yeah. about it so I can share it with everybody. That's I... right. And Helena, the latest I checked, we had 12,000 hits in a year. Oh, my. And I think I think that's pretty good. It's all over the world. I realized that some people might have hit it and then immediately gone somewhere else. <laughs> but I'm very pleased that the efforts that various people have made to put something out there that through the internet, it can get anywhere. And that's, that's re- I think that's wonderful. A bit like Radio Maria. I mean, this can go anywhere, can't it? It can, and we hope it does. That is yes. our mission to spread the gospel wherever, whenever, hey, and across well, we the world. Yeah, that's what we share. It's been truly lovely, too, because I know you've had such great speakers, such as Sister Gemma Simmons. Yes. And I've forgotten her name, but she wrote about that new book, Faith, man, God. Oh, what was the book? Oh, no. dear, dear. But there's we had Austin, Austin Ivory. <gasps> you have had Austin Ivory, yes. Biographer of Pope Francis. And you have a yeah. new one coming up in January. I well, we have one on the on the what we call the evolution of the mass because yeah. a lot of people are wanting to know. Well, how is it the mass has developed from this to that, and what is it now, and all the decisions that have been made about the form of the mass that that we should have. So that should be very interesting. I think that's 15th of January, but it will be on the website subsequently for people to listen to, and I hope it's useful. I hope I hope it goes on as well. We we have events around that same time and we're now discussing plan B, plan B. So, uh, if but I'm excited to hear the the recording. Maybe go there in person. We'll have to we'll have to see what the pandemic yeah. is up to. All right. I've got a question in for you though, Father Adrian. All right. So, yeah. the question is uh, Matthew, how what what kind of pushed him to take what he might have been sharing with people? The, the Holy Spirit came to him and said, go share. So he may have been sharing and speaking. What made him want to write it down and, and get it like this? How does, what was the evolution, well, I guess, of Matthew? I think, 
I think there's a combination of things. I think Mark seems to have been the first gospel, and Mark is writing a fairly simple story on the basis of what he knows from Peter, because he is an associate of Peter. Well, now, Matthew is an apostle. He would have more things to put in. He would also have new ideas. So the way that the Gospel of St. Matthew is structured with the five speeches, that is entirely up to this evangelist. So he's he's wanting to make, not only tell us what Jesus said and what Jesus did, but also give us a sense of the meaning of Jesus, of the significance of Jesus. You know, the five books of Moses, these are the five speeches of the Messiah who is the new Moses. So I think we have to realize that the evangelists and other writers of the New Testament are being inspired because they understand things in new ways. And aren't we lucky to have their writings from, you know, 2000 years ago that we can still delve into and we can still explore because, you know, there are still new things to discover about God, about Jesus, about life. And so we, we owe such a debt of gratitude to St. Matthew and the other evangelists and St. Paul and the writers of, as indeed we do then, to subsequent uh, writers within the church. But the it scriptures, of course, the gospels are special. It's true. And it's it's amazing how each time you read it, each time you contemplate it, it, it could give you a different, me no, a similar message, but it could affect you in a different Something way new. with how are you on life. Something new. I mean, you think of Joseph, the story of Joseph, Mary and Jesus, the flight to Egypt. You can't not think of the refugees in the modern world, people having to leave a place of danger to try and find a home somewhere else. I mean, there's so much in even in those opening chapters which can speak to us today and say, look, what does God want of us? And has God, you know, in Jesus, God has already shared those kind of situations so I think they can be very powerful if we allow ourselves to make connections between what is written in the scriptures and our prayer and our experience today. Agreed, agreed. All right, enough from me, Father Andrew. <laughs> Father Andrew. Let's see if there's any more callers. All right, listeners, let, this is you. We've got one more song available for you to call in and share your thoughts, your questions to Father Adrian about the Gospel of Matthew, the Christmas Gospel of Matthew. The number to call is 01 Again, the number is 
This is Radio Maria. Thank you for joining us today for today's catechesis with Father Adrian Graffi. Father Adrian, could you please, uh, we're going to have you on again tomorrow at 4pm and you're talking about which Christmas gospel? It'll be Luke. Yes. Luke tomorrow. Yes. Luke. Luke battles it out with Matt. No, no, no. There's no battling on this program. No, no, no. no. no, <laughs> oh. no. Unless it's a shepherd trying to find a space closer to the to the king. <laughs> could be, could be. Father Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please uh, finish the program with a prayer for our listeners? Certainly. This is uh, an Advent prayer. God of mercy, open our ears, open your ears to our cries. Light up the dark places of our hearts with the grace of your Son, who will visit us and set us free. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Adrian. Have a blessed day. Thank you very much.